Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. Uh, so, really great stuff happening at our connect churches that we're connected to. There really is revival in the air. Uh, if you're paying attention and you're seeing what's going on, if you don't always listen to Fox News and CNN, you might actually realize that things are in our favor and revival is upon us. You just got to know where you're getting your information from, right? And that's a whole nother message, and I don't have time to deal with that today. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, get your hopes up. It's crazy in a time like this. There's so much going on. I mean, you can see today we have so many in our family who are out, quarantined, sick, this, that. It's just a lot going on right now. But I'm challenging you, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Set your focus a little higher than what's happening around you right now. I heard an incredible quote yesterday that said, go ahead and get the knowledge before you need it. And I've just hung on to that. I wrote it down in my notebook. I wanted, and I began to think about that in us, in the spiritual realm. A lot of times we're not acquiring what we need until we get in the position that we really need it. So what happens is if you learn to look ahead, if you learn to look above what's happening around you, you can often possess what you're going to need when it gets there. Man, that's not even what I'm going to talk about today. We got some other stuff, but I am just loaded this week. Uh, I told Dad, I forget what morning it was. We were kind of crossing paths. I had been over here this in the morning. He was coming to spend his time. We were kind of meeting as one was leaving. And he asked, I said, well, are you ready for Sunday? Are you getting your stuff prepared? I was like, I don't know. I've literally just prayed all week. Like, I just couldn't write nothing, couldn't put a scripture with another scripture. When I opened the Bible, sometimes it looked like Hebrew, literally. And so I was just praying, and he made a statement. He said, well, he who has prayed well has studied well. And then yesterday, God allowed me to start writing some stuff, putting some stuff together. So I'm excited to share with you this morning. As you can see, we're actually continuing on with Built Different. I told you we'd be in this for a while, and it just keeps growing, and I just keep finding more stuff. But we're going to do a series within a series, if we can pull that off. Uh, of course, Dad will be back next Sunday, taking back over again. So I don't know when I'll be back again. But he started dealing with me on foundation. And when we first started the Built Different series, so to speak, you remember we started with the foundation. Remember the scriptures, Luke 6, where he says he's like a man who's going to build a house and he digs down and builds on a solid foundation. And God has just reverted me and my wife personally just back to this revelation of the foundation. We, uh, we decided that where we're at in life and where we're going, we want to make sure that we're seeking counsel consistently drawing from those that are wiser than us, those that have seen more than us, been through more than us, those that we believe can go into a prayer closet, hear from God, and give us direction. I don't want to run my life, I don't want to run my family, and I don't want to run my business without someone like that speaking into my life, giving me direction. Can God speak and give me that direction? Yes, and often He does. But I am following the principles of Proverbs, and I am surrounding myself with counsel. And in doing so, through that counsel, we've been brought back to, by our apostles, we've been brought back to the foundation of a thing. That if you can't get the foundation of a thing right, the thing will never be right. It don't matter how pretty you make it look. It don't matter how great you make it sound or seem. If the foundation isn't correct, if what everyone can't see isn't right, then eventually it will ruin what everyone can see. Are you with me? Are you, are you tracking with me this morning? Uh, my wife was actually sharing with me. She come across something. I don't even know why you were watching something like this. But it was a construction guy. He's just multimillionaire. He does construction work all over the country. And 
He said one of the hardest places to build in America is in Colorado because the soil is just garbage. It's just not good. And he said, so to build something that will last, we dig down an average of 15 feet before we get to something solid, and then we start building a foundation that can be trusted, one that we can build on and we know that it would last. So God has just brought us back, and I believe that He's bringing us corporately back to this place of realizing that if we don't get the foundation right, time and time again throughout the Bible, God makes references to the beginning, to the foundation, to the start of a thing. There's a very important um, law in studying Scripture, and it's called the law of first mention. And if you can't nail down the first mention and what it begat, what it began with, then whatever law or precept you build on top of that won't stand because you got to have the foundation of it. It's how His Word is set up. So much throughout the Scripture is built this way. So the foundation is extremely important. So based on that, I'm going to give you a definition. This is not a super spiritual definition. This is the definition of foundation. If you were to look this up, uh, it's kind of long. I'm going to run through it, just kind of jot down your highlights of it. The foundation is the lowest load-bearing part of a structure. This is often the part that is never seen. Uh, I've noticed when, especially dealing with clients, there's a whole lot that goes on in building something. I bet Bobby can really attest to this because most all the work he does goes unseen. But there's a whole lot of work that goes on when building a structure for someone or a remodel or whatever that they never see, but I promise you at some point they're going to appreciate it. They don't understand it, and I often find myself explaining things to clients and they're just looking at me like a calf at a new gate, like they have no clue what I'm trying to describe to them. But it's so important for the result of what they can see. If they want it to look good and function good and be awesome, then there has to be a lot of time and money spent in an area that you actually never get to see. I don't know if you've had any work done lately, but I'm learning that some of the most expensive parts of the work are the parts that you never get to see. But the parts that we love so much, I mean, how nice is it to come here to this building and have running water and toilets that work? Right? How nice is it to have that heater running at about 68 this morning when you got here out of that freezing cold weather? All that was so nice, but you don't walk in and see it. You just walk in and appreciate it. Well, God is bringing us back to this place of understanding that if we're going to build something that people can come and enjoy, I need you to think spiritually with me, that they can come and be a part of, they can come and receive what they need, they can come and appreciate it, then we're going to have to nail down all the things that aren't going to be seen. We have to go back to the foundation of this thing and get it so solid, so steady, so right, that no matter what happens, no matter if he sends 5,000 people or if he sends five people, what we've built is able to maintain and sustain what God is wanting to do. So it's the lowest load-bearing part of a structure. If you don't get the structure right, then eventually the earth will cause it to settle in areas you don't want it to. And man, I hope you're keeping up with me in your spirits here because how many times in the Bible is the earth an idiom for your flesh? 
It's the idiom for dust. We are made from dust. We are earth. We are clay. We are, you see what I'm saying? So if you don't have a solid foundation, eventually the earth that is you, you will cause some things to settle and shake and not be right. And then you got to go back and start dealing with some things that should have been right from the beginning. Me and my wife live in a double-wide mobile home. And they set those things up as fast as they build them. <laughs> and when they come in, they're not worried about much. If it looks slightly level when they leave, they won and they're out. But they just set it on pads. And when we did ours, it was during the winter. And it was so wet, you couldn't fly a helicopter over it without getting stuck. And so they tried pulling this trailer in, setting it on our pad. And it all looked good for a while. But now we're doing some remodels to our house. I say remodels. We're getting a lot of projects done that my wife wants done at the house. Changing some things. And every time I get into something, I realize, gosh, this ain't even close to level. This ain't even close to square. And I've noticed all the crown molding around the top where it was so tight at one point, now it's opened up. And when you do construction for a living, you're just laying in the bed looking at it like, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> but it's not because the crown molding was done wrong. It's because the foundation was done wrong. The guys putting up the crown molding did their job. It was tight. They shot it, caulked it, painted it, and left, and it looked good. But what happens is it starts reverting back to the foundation that was set, and when the foundation's not right, a bunch of other things start being wrong. It may take some time. You may not know it right now. A lot of times we, we get saved, we get in church, we get going, and we just, we're wide open. We're go-getters, and we jump into a ministry, or we jump into this, or we jump into that, and we think we're good to go. And then all of a sudden, some things start showing up, and we're thinking, where is this coming from? Why is this happening all of a sudden? It's because from the beginning, we didn't set a foundation that could hold the weight of your ministry, that could hold the weight of your impact, that could hold the weight of what He's desiring for your life. And so what happens a lot of times is because the foundation is not where it should be, God can only give you what you have right now because the foundation is everything. Let me show you why this is so important. Uh, Jason, you have 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want to show you this scripture in a different light. Um, you probably haven't heard it taken in this context, but when God began to show me this week, it was so amazing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. I love this scripture because... If you're going through it, guess what? Someone else has already been through it. I say this constantly because we as a company, we do a lot of, it wasn't my intentions at all, I promise you, but we've ended up being known for a lot of remodels. We take really old buildings and we make them awesome. But when you do that, it's different than building one from the ground up because you've got to deal with whatever's given to you. You've got to figure it out as you go. And when we run into something, I can't figure it out. And I'm thinking, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to switch this or move this. My response is, someone else has already done it. Someone's already been through this and probably nowadays has documented it. And you can learn how to do it just by going to YouTube or Google. And so that's always my answer. So I want you to know this in life, in your Christian walk, in your walk of faith. When you hit something, just know it's common and someone else has already been to it, been through it. That's why it's so important to be connected to a body. That's why it's so important to be in the community. Because sometimes I hit things and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, Kenny. And then I find out someone in the family has already been through it. And I can draw from that well. I can lean on their strength. I can learn from what they went through. 
I love being able to draw from someone else. If I don't have to hurt myself in the situation because someone else already has, I'm going to lean on what they've done and try not to hurt myself. Does that make sense? But I feel like we don't do this in the spiritual realm. We don't do this in our walk of faith. We go through everything like a lone wolf, and we just assume that no one's going through what I'm going through. Can I tell you, someone's been there. The Bible actually teaches us that we have a high priest who, ha- who knows the infirmities that we go through and can understand and relate to everything we would ever go through. So this is why it's so important. Total side note, that one's for free. That is common to man, but God is faithful. How so? He's faithful because he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what this scripture is saying is God will not put on you more than you can bear. He won't give you more than you can handle. And when we're talking about temptation and struggle and heartache and brokenness, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that he knows my threshold and he knows what I can handle. But you know, this goes in both directions, that if it's true, it's true in reverse and it's true inverted as well. So if you think about it from that point of view, then also he won't give you more than what you can handle. In other words, he's not going to give to you something that your foundation can't support. We want to be wealthy, but if you haven't built a foundation with no money that could withstand being wealthy, then he's never going to allow you to be there because you couldn't hold it. It would become more the temptation of more would become greater than you could bear. A lot of times we want God to bless us with more people, more revival, more presence, more glory. And God is sitting in heaven saying, I would love to, but you couldn't handle it. I would love to give you the more, but you haven't built a foundation that can handle more. A lot of times I believe this is why churches plateau at a certain level and they just stop growing. They just stop wherever they're at. And it may be good church. It may be great church. They're having a good time. They're having somewhat of an impact and doing all these things. But he's saying, I'm not going to put on more than you can bear. And if you can't bear 150 people, how could you bear 500 people? And if you can't invest and disciple and grow the 100 or so people you have now, how do you think you would invest in, grow, and disciple 500 people? We're believing for 300 people, right? That was our thing. We bought 300 chairs, which they are in the United States now. So they're getting closer to us. (laughs) Who knows when they'll get to us, but they're here now. But we bought 300 chairs and we begin to pray, God, we're believing for someone to fill every chair because it's good stewardship. And God has no problem filling 300 chairs. It's easy for him. What he does have a problem doing is giving you something your foundation can't handle. And if we can't handle 150, how are we going to handle that doubled? If we were to double the number of people we have right now, how would we handle it? How would you invest in it? How would a Sunday morning look and operate and feel? He said, I'm not going to give you more than you can bear because it would become a temptation. Some people can't have a big church because they would be too tempted to be prideful because they have a big church. Come on, this is just real stuff. Some people can't have a super sex... Su- <laughs> that almost got awkward. <laughs> Jen said, it wasn't almost, it was all the way there. Some people couldn't handle a super successful business because you would be too tempted to fall for the business. You would be too tempted to let the business... I've seen it so many times where somebody will come to church broke, busted, and disgusted. And God will bless them and bless them, and before long, the very blessings that He gave them are the reason we don't see them no more. 
He said, I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. So if you'll build a foundation of humility, if you'll build a foundation of awe, awe and honor and the fear of the Lord, if you'll build a foundation that's built on the fear of God, I'll give you more than you could even think of. I'll bless you beyond measure. I'll, I'll pour out. He said, uh, his blessings, of his blessings, there is no end. I mean, he doesn't run out. Can I, I, I can't stress this part enough, and I feel like it's because he's stressing it to me. It's easy for God. Like, he doesn't have to start scrambling and be like, oh, God, they did everything right. How do I figure this out, and what do I come up with? You know, He's not like us running around saying, oh, God, how do I get the money? How do I get a loan? How do I figure this out? It's easy for him. He just knows where he can invest it. The kingdom of heaven operates off of an investment system. It, it operates like an economy. And what happens is God looks at people, and He looks at a body, and He looks at a church, and He says... How much can I invest into that place? How much a foundation has been built that they can handle the level of investment that I want to give to them? And he bases what he gives off of what I'm calling the foundation of what we built. So if we build a good enough foundation, we can get a good enough investment, right? So let's look at, based on the, did I finish my... No, I literally didn't read half my definition. It's, it's, the low, <laughs> it's the lowest load-bearing part of a structure. It's an underlying basis or principle. These are just some extra I thought were really good I want to throw in here. It's the basis or the groundwork of anything. And then last, just kind of another approach to it. It's the moral foundation of both society and religion. We have to have a moral foundation that is so solid that God can bless us. Because if your moral foundation is not as solid as it needs to be, then when He blesses you, it will affect your morals. I'm just going to let that set in the room. It will affect your morals. It will affect your non-negotiables. A lot of times when we don't have anything... We think we're really good at our non-negotiables until we get something, and then it's like, well, you know, I could, or maybe I should, and these things start to, why? Because he said there's got to be a foundation built that no matter what happens, no matter if it's a lot of people or a little people, if it's a lot of glory or a little glory, if it's a lot of money or a little money, none of those things affect the foundation that I've built it on. Noah had such a foundation built that he spent his life preaching and building something that would only save his family. And he still never changed his mind. He only saved eight people in his lifetime, which in that time was pretty bad because the whole rest of the world got wiped out. But he was willing to remain so founded on what he knew that if only his family believed him, it was enough. And we're so caught up on how do we get people to buy-in? How do we get other people to listen? And we make it so about that side of things. When, when Noah said, my foundation is so solid that if it only affects eight people, I will not change my message. I will not change my pursuit. I will not change my heart. So the foundation is extremely important because we just learned in 1 Corinthians that God can't give you more than you can bear. And if we're just being honest, most of us couldn't bear the things that we're asking for. Most of us couldn't bear 
being super successful in some, some area because right now we're not making the preparations to handle what it should be. And Jesus said, if you're faithful over what you have now, only then do I give more. We have to, I, I was sat down by our apostles this week and told that, remember, Dad has been teaching on the inflection point. That when you get to that place, you have to make that decision. You have to make that inflection and go up into that next round. But he began to show us the importance of, if that's the way it works, I wish I'd have pulled it up for y'all again. You know, it's the circle on the bottom, and you're going around and around and around and around until you get to a moment where it's an inflection point, and you go up and start another circle above that. You go up into that next level of glory, that next level of faith, next level of success, next level of whatever it is that you're after. But the problem is, we can't go up and build that next circle on top until this circle is perfected. And a lot of times we want, we're thinking, gosh, why haven't I broken over and went into that next place? Why haven't I come around and had that moment of decision? Why haven't I done whatever it be? It's because we still haven't perfected the one that we're in. And the circle that we're in has to be, it has to be a well-oiled machine. It has to be going like God designed it. It has to be the foundation that all the other ones become built on. Can you see how all of life is built on this idea of a foundation? You don't get to go to second grade until you graduate from first grade right? It's the same way in church. It's the same way in life. It's the same way in the kingdom. You don't get to move on and work in this area of extreme success in the kingdom until you've figured out the foundation. You can't operate in the fruits of maturity if you're immature. You can't operate in the fruits of being an adult and the success and freedoms that come with maturity if you're still immature. So the foundation is so important. He knows how much He can trust you with based on the foundation that you have built to withstand storms and temptations. He knows what the temptations will look like and how they will come. And He knows whether or not your foundation is ready for that level of temptation. If we're still falling to the, the small immature temptations in our life now, then how could He bring us to a level that would have greater temptations? He knows there hasn't been a foundation built yet that can handle it. It hasn't been perfected yet so that the next level of maturity could be released into your life. What if we started taking a personal assessment of our body, this body here, of our community? What if we began to look around and say, God, there's some things we're wanting we want to see success in the kingdom of God. We want to see you impacting our community. We want to see revival come to this place. We want to see growth in numbers. We want to see growth in every area. We want to see growth in our finances. All of these things. If we started taking a personal assessment and start asking our question, how much have I invested to perfect the level that we're on right now? And if we haven't invested anything to perfect the level we're on right now, can I tell you your prayer is wasted because he will not release to you what you have not prepared for. He will not give to us what we have not built a foundation to set it on. It has to be something built that can hold what you're asking for. And you can pray for revival all day long, but if you're not prepared for revival, it can't come. Jesus consistently uses farmers as an example of the kingdom because everything they're praying for, they're also preparing for. It's one thing to prepare for it. It's another, uh, pray for it. It's another thing to prepare for it. Prayer is putting it before God, and preparation is the faith that God will bring it. 
Dad said this week we were, uh, we were in the office together yesterday morning maybe, and we were just talking about him leaving and ministering this weekend. I was going to be here, and we were just going back. And I asked him, I said, well, are you, are you ready for this weekend? And he said, I'm trying to remember how he said it, something along the lines of, yeah, I'm not just ready for it, I'm prepared for it. I'm not just expecting it, I've prepared for what should happen this weekend. That's the way we should be living our lives. We should be so prepared. We should have such a foundation built. A foundation is the part no one sees. There should be the time invested in prayer and seeking God's face and in, in, in your morality, in your... Uh, uh, there's another word there I want to use, but I can't pull it up right now. These things that people aren't seeing and they're not experiencing should be so solid. They should be so solid that no matter what comes after this, we have something built that can withstand it. And I believe God would only begin to teach us and prepare us about our foundation if he had something he wanted to build on. If he wasn't worried about building here, he wouldn't be worried about the foundation. But I'm convinced that God wants to do something so big in your personal lives, in our lives as a church community, in our lives as this community of Caldwell and LaSalle Parish. I believe God has big dreams and big plans. He just needs a structure, a foundation that can hold up what he wants to do. The Bible says that however you measure it out, it will be measured back to you. So the level on which we build our foundation, the level on the preparations that we put into our foundation will be the measuring cup for which God builds on top of it. If we build a small foundation, he'll build a small church. If we build a big foundation, he'll build something with a big impact. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's got to have the foundation that he can invest in. So let's look at a, a parable that Jesus gave us to explain all this so much better. He was good at that. Matthew 25. I'm going to read this whole thing from the Passion Translation, just because I really like it. Man, Jason, I skipped my, my scriptures. I read every, every time. I didn't even do them, did I? <laughs> we'll go back and catch them in a minute. Matthew chapter 25, starting in 14, says, Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like a wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all of his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Catch this. This, this, this man, this wealthy man, assigned his finances and the management of it over to someone else. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to a third bag, to a, third, a bag of 1,000 gold coins. Catch this line. Each according to his ability to manage. So many times we look at this parable, and we think the parable is where the master finds out what his servants are capable of. But can I tell you, according to this scripture, he already knew what they were capable of. Because it says he gave to them according to what they could handle. So he's been watching these servants for a while. He's been paying attention to how they handle, how they manage, how they operate, what they do, how, how well they do it. He's been paying attention to all of these things going on. So he already knows 
Servant number one, I can trust him with 5,000. He would handle it well because I've seen what he's done with what he has now. Servant number two, not so sure yet, so we'll give him 2,000 and we'll see how he does it. Now, servant number three, he's lazy. And I can tell already, I'm just going to give him 1,000 and just see what happens. So you can tell, for one, this is a very wealthy man because he just throws a thousand gold coins like, let's just see what happens. Let's see how it goes. So this man has already set up and established what these guys are capable of. Jesus said, starting, heaven's kingdom realm is like this wealthy man. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the kingdom of God operates on the same principle and God is the wealthy man looking at all of us saying, well, I know they can handle 5,000 and they could probably handle two and this one over here, better just give them one. Why? Because he's watching how we manage everything and he's watching how we handle everything and he knows that I'm going to give out to you according to what you can manage. Why? Because of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's not going to give you more than you can bear more than you can handle. He's not going to invest more than what you could handle. So the kingdom of heaven is like this parable, and he says, if you can handle a lot, I'm going to give you a lot. If you can't handle a lot, I'm not going to give you a lot. It's super simple. But what's awesome is he already knows this much, yet he does this again and gives on this level to see how much more he can give to his servants. So what happens is God begins to assess and see what levels that we're living on and how we're managing and how we're handling it. And he allows us to taste something a little more to see if we could handle going to the next level. So he will let you experience success in some form or some fashion in some area. He'll let you experience some success in ministering in a certain area or investing in a business in this area or whatever it may be for you in family and whatever it may be. He will allow you to experience a little better, see how you handle it, and how you handle it will determine how much more you get of it. So this is the kingdom of heaven. Why is foundation so important? Because they had already built a foundation with their master that determined how much they got from him. The one entrusted with 5,000, I'm in 16, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with, money, with the money and he doubled his investment. In the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with the sum and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. There's so much perspectives here that, that we're going to unlock. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle accounts with the servants. And the one who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000 saying, See, I doubled your money. Commending his servant... The master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you have been faithful steward to manage a small sum, now I put, in charge, put you in charge over much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. Then the one who had been entrusted with 2,000 gold coins came in and said, see master, I have doubled what you have entrusted to me. Commending his servant, the master replied, You have done well. You have proven yourself to be loyal and trustworthy servant because you were faithful to manage a small sum. Now I will put you in charge of much, much more. 
you will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come and celebrate with me. Then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins come to his master and say, look, sir, I know that you. He starts his off totally different than the other two. I know that you are a hard man to please and you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. I was afraid of you, so I went and hid your money and buried it in the ground, but here it is. Take, take it. It's yours. Angered by what he heard, the master said to him, You're an untrusting, untrustworthy and lazy servant. Notice he said, I know you to be. And the master says, If you knew... I was a shrewd and ruthless businessman who always makes profit. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Then when I received it all back with interest when I returned. But because you were unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins given and give them to the one who has 10,000. For the one who has will be given more until until he overflows with abundance. This scripture is so tricky for so many people. It sounds so outside of the nature of God that he says, I'm going to take the little bit you have and I'm going to give it to someone who has a lot. Why? Because God is not concerned with the amount. He's concerned with the stewardship of that amount. To him, stewardship is everything. The amount is not important to God because any of it's easy to him. Whether it's $10 or $10 billion dollars. Whether it's a little bitty small ministry or a mega ministry that stretches across the globe. Either one is easy for God. What he's looking at is our stewardship. So he said, stewardship of what I have entrusted you is so important that if you mishandle the little bit I give you, I'll take that little bit away and I'll give it to someone who's handling it well. And usually the proof of handling it well is the fact that it has grown, it has increased, it is being impactful, it's doing something. Notice that he doesn't connect faithfulness to not losing it. He connects faithfulness to growing it. He actually calls the man who didn't lose it unfaithful. He said, just because, and what have we done in the church? We've taught that you're some faithful, awesome saint because you just didn't lose it. Jesus said, that's not what I taught at all. I taught that faithful servants are those who will invest it and trade it and work it And they'll grow it into something more. And the ones who will not are not faithful. He said, as a matter of fact, they're unfaithful and they're lazy. How many of you have been doing the 31 days in Proverbs? Reading Proverbs every day. How many times does God prove the fact that he does not like laziness? How many times through Proverbs he's constantly saying laziness is unrighteousness. Laziness is wickedness. Laziness is not of God. No part of God in any form or fashion is lazy at all. And he's proving here in this parable that laziness is connected to just not losing what I have. Well, I held on, brother. I held on to the faith and I didn't give up. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for someone who's saying, I didn't just not give up. I took what I had and I began to go out and trade and barter and move it and increase it and grow it. I stewarded it. I took care of it and it became more than what it was. But it takes a mindset. It takes a perspective to understand this. I want to show you something here. In every time I went through a mine and highlighted and marked and did all kinds of stuff. In every one of them, he keeps saying he entrusted it to them. He entrusted it to them. 
But when the first two start working it and making it an investment, they call, they, he calls it his investment, as in their own personal investment. It was his money given to them, but they call it their investment. So what happened was they were entrusted with something that they took on as a personal responsibility. They took it on as he has entrusted it to me and given it to me to do with what I decide to do with this thing. So it says they made their own investments and those investments doubled and came back to them. So they see it as this. But watch the third guy. He says, I went and I hid your money. You see the difference in the mindset? He never took personal responsibility of what was entrusted to him. He always left the responsibility on the master. He even goes into saying, because you do this and you do that and you do this. He immediately reflected all responsibility back to the master when the master said, when I entrusted it to you, it became your responsibility. What we have to quit doing is putting all the responsibility back on God, saying, well, if God wants it to grow, he'll grow it. If God wants it, this to happen, it'll happen. If God wants this, and we use that as such an excuse to be lazy. We use it as an excuse to not do anything with it, and we just hide it. Well, if God wants it to grow, he's a miracle worker. Yeah, but he entrusted it to you. And now you have to take personal responsibility of this is mine to invest and to trade and to make moves. The Bible says that he was gone for a long time. And if you know anything about the trade market and investing, there's some times where it looks really good and there's some times where it looks really bad. Can you imagine this guy being in a moment where he started trading and borrowing, investing, bartering and investing, and then all of a sudden maybe, I'm going to use this example, I know they haven't, all of a sudden the stock market just crashes and he's looking at, oh gosh, I possibly just lost all of my master's money. And he keeps working and he keeps going at it until finally he starts seeing a return on what he's been working in, on what he's been stewarding, and it comes back to him double. This is what we see the first two. That word there, traded, if you go actually look it up, uh, it actually means to engage in, to toil, to work. So that means when this guy got it, he began to work. He engaged in it. He toiled with what he had been entrusted with. He began to work this thing. And when the master gets back, he begins to see how much he can trust the men that he invested in. I'm so convinced right now that God is in heaven saying, I just need to know who I can, who I can trust to invest this much into. I want to invest a revival for northeast Louisiana, but I need to know the people that I can entrust it to. That they won't have an experience with God, dig a hole and hide it inside their sanctuary. But they'll have an encounter with God and they'll find a way to get outside and begin to trade and barter and work and toil and not be lazy and not hide it and not just hope, I hope we hold on to this encounter until Jesus comes back. Well, can I tell you when he comes back, he's going to ask you what you did with it. The Bible says when we get to heaven, God's going to look at you and say, what did you do with Jesus' name? What did you do with what I gave you? This is, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this wealthy man. And we're all praying, Jesus, come back. Well, I need us to stop and check real quick and say, if he came back today, what did I do with what he gave me? If he came back to settle his account with me, where do I stand? Did I grow it? 
Did I grow his account? Did I even build interest on it? Did I do any of these things? Or did I sit back and just wait until this great day in the by and by when we get sucked out of here and go to heaven? He said, the one who hides it and does nothing, he's unfaithful. And he's lazy. I don't know how else to put that and make it sound better. But I've been so convicted in my own personal life of how opposite of lazy God is. And He's expecting us to be moving and working and growing and expanding. It says the the increase of His government, there is no end. That's what this thing is supposed to look like. And we're just hiding out in churches hoping that one day we get to go to heaven. And these guys knew. They knew, hey, when the Master gets back, He's going to ask me what I did with His investment. When Jesus does come back on that glorious, amazing day, He's going to ask Life Church, what'd you do with what I invested? And that investment that we get the opportunity to work with is going to be fully and completely based on the foundation we built that could hold that investment. I want a big investment. I want to be trusted with something big. I want to so perfect the level that I'm on that He says, okay, I've seen what you're doing. I'm going to give you the 5000 I've, I've seen what you do. You doubled that. Okay, I'm going to come back and give you another thousand. I'm gonna, I want him to know that he can trust that whatever I give him, I mean, whatever he gives me, it can be entrusted to me. Look at this. Look at this second part of, of, of the perspective here. He said, I hid your money. So we see the difference here. In verse 24, then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and said, look, sir, I know you're a hard man to please. Now, let's, let's take a look at the story real quick. This man that's supposed to be so hard and just, just such a bad person just came to all three servants and said, I'm going to make you the manager over my estate. And if you do good with it, man, I will double it and I'll give you more and it will continue to grow and it will continue to... This doesn't sound like a man who's so hard to please and does all these wrong things. What it sounds like is someone who's lazy and has judged someone else for the level and the hard work that they've put in. And so because he knew he wasn't going to do anything with it, he changed the perspective of who was giving it to. The other two said nothing about him being hard man to please or this or that. They were honored to receive from the master, and then they went to work based on what they received. You see what happens when we get in a... A, a, this, this mindset of God is so hard to please and He's this strict ruler and He's this and He's that, then the temptation is to just hide it and hope that we make, to he- make it to heaven. But if you see Him that way, you'll just hide it and do nothing. But if we, like the other two, see Him rightly and say, man, He's, a, he's honest and He's honorable. And if I put in the work and do what I'm called to do, He's faithful to give back. He's faithful to let this thing grow into something that we can't even imagine or dream up. So we have to ask ourselves today, which one are we? Are we hiding it and not doing nothing with it because we have a bad perspective of the one who's giving it to us? Or do we see him as this, this incredible father who has come to us and said, I'm about to allow you to operate in something that is mine. Go do what you can with it. And we grow it. We have to get the foundation right. We have to have something that can handle what He wants to do. This takes all of the faulty responsibility that we put on God off of Him. 
if we truly believe that it was finished from the foundations of the world and that when Jesus says it is finished, it was finished, it was done, everything we have access to, everything we can come and get, everything we get to live in, all of the promises, all of the things of God are ours to access, to live in, to work in, to be in. If we actually believe that, then we have to look at these principles and say the only reason we don't live in them and we don't work in them and we don't operate in them is because we haven't built a foundation that could handle them. We're still, we're still too susceptible to the temptation of success. We're, t- we're still too susceptible to the growth being what kills us. That's why... Think of it this way, if you were to go to the gym and start working out, you don't go in and stack all the plates on the bar to start out with. You start with what you can manage. And the more you exercise what you can manage, the more that you can manage. Uh, I have a scripture, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Look at this scripture. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you haven't even built a foundation up enough yet to this point that I'm still having to teach you that. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Look at this. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He said, I'm allowing, I'm entrusting things to you that by reason of use, you're expected to exercise them until they grow into what they're intended to be, until it grows into a level of discernment that can, that can govern your life. Uh, did I give you one more after that, Jason? No, wait, no, that's it. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of a different scripture. Stay right there, we'll get to it in a minute. He said, because you're still operating at an immature level, you haven't built that thing yet. You haven't built up something under you that can withstand it and withhold it. He said, because of it, you're still immature and you're not exercising by reason of use the things that I've entrusted you. You want to grow in prayer? It's by reason of use. You want to grow in your your ability to discern or to have wisdom or whatever it may be. It's by reason of use. He said he entrusted it to them and they went and used it. By reason of use, they went out and exercised their ability to trade and to barter and to toil and to do these kinds of things. I'm afraid he's entrusting things to us and we're not using it. Therefore, we're not growing in it. We're not expanding in it. We're not becoming stronger in it. And we're praying, God, why not us? Why don't we get more? Why don't we get revival? Why don't we get an outpouring of the Spirit? And he's got scripture after scripture with principle after principle that I can't give mature things to immature. I can't give you solid food because right now all you can handle is milk. You have to build something within you that can withstand what he's wanting to do. We have to build something that can uphold it. Do you hear me? He is shifting the responsibility back to us this year, saying if you want everything that's been prophesied and promised over you, build something that can handle it. If you're still dealing with, if, if, if we are still dealing with 
attitudes and, and, and not respecting people and, and losing our temper and things like that, how's he going to give us a platform in our community? How's he going to give us an impact in our government? How's he going to do any of that if we're still babes dealing with these little things? Me and Mike were talking this week about how Proverbs is so in your face. And it was saying, if you can't keep your mouth shut, then you're not wise. If you, if you keep opening your mouth all the time, you're eventually going to say something and it's going to get you in trouble. And we were bouncing these things back and forth off each other. And it's like God is trying to bring us back to the point and let us know you're asking for things that you're not grown enough to handle. You want to operate in this level of extreme success. And I'm talking about in, just in the kingdom right now. And of course, we want it in our businesses and our families and all those things. But we're asking God to show us kingdom success, revival, and glory. And He, he hands us Proverbs and says, Okay, if that's what you want, here's how you build the foundation. And begins to deal with all these little things in our life. Uh, Galatians 4 and 1, that's the one I was thinking about. Actually, I think it may be 1 and 2. Jason? Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, as long as he's still immature, he's no different than a slave, even though he has access to it all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the father knows his appointed time. He said, we're still, we're just still, we're still, uh, we're the heir, but we're still such children that the Father is not allowing us to have our time to step into everything we can access. It's not God's fault. God's only holding us back because He's a good Father. And we haven't built something that could withstand the weight of what He wants to give us. And He gave us a promise. I'm not going to give you more than you could handle. And if you can't handle a big impactful ministry, then I can't give it to you. Think of your own kids. When you're, for instance, right now, I'm not going to give Stephen the keys to my truck. For one, he probably couldn't reach the pedals. I wish he was in here. But I'm not, why? Because he hasn't grown into the maturity that allows him that type of freedom. There's so much going through my mind right now that I don't know if I should touch on. A lot of our kids are fighting things that they shouldn't have to fight because you gave them access to mature things before they can handle it. My son wants a phone right now so bad he would fist fight me for it. And my wife keeps telling him, no, you're not ready. Because I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. And if right now you're still a child, so you're still dealing with handling your own attitude and your own responses, how am I going to give you access to everything that's in the world that can be brought to your fingertips if I know you can't handle it? I'm a better parent than that. I'm a better parent than that. I'm not going to set my kid up to fail. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep holding the restraints even if he don't like it because I know what's best. God's not going to set you up for failure by giving you success where you couldn't handle it. God's not, going to, God's not going to set you up for failure by putting you in a ministry that you haven't built a foundation to handle it. Some of you have asked, well, well why hasn't it happened for me yet? Why ain't I speaking yet? Why ain't I in a ministry yet? Why ain't I doing this yet? Maybe because the Father hasn't found the appointed time where He can take you out from under someone and let you make your own decisions. 
let you get your own food. Can I tell you, he's bringing us to a place where he's saying you're going to have to build a foundation and you're going to have to become mature because the things that he wants to do, they're not for the weak and they're not for the immature. They're not for those who are shaky and unstable. They're not for those with bad attitudes. They're not for those, it's not for those who tend to gossip and can't hold their own tongue. It's not for those who are angered easily. It's not for those who spout off at the mouth easily. It's not for any of those. He said it's for those who have become mature enough that I can look down and say now is the appointed time and you have matured and built something well enough that I would release my glory and approve it. He loves you too much to bless you right now. He loves you too much to release the gates of heaven on you right now. It would crush you. It would crush me. It would crush me. My wife and I have dreams in our heart and desires in our hearts that sometimes I lay awake at night thinking, how in the world could it even be possible? But I burn for it. I burn for it, and I expect some big things to come out of my life. I expect us to experience some things that you just can't even imagine. Greater than we could ask, think, or imagine, the Bible says. I expect all that. But because I so expect it in the first month of the year, the apostle set me down and said, you better get the foundation right. You better do whatever it takes to mature yourself where you're at. Everything you're doing right now needs to become perfected. I know we're so scared of that word in the church because it, the word perfect comes with a lot of responsibility. But I want to get it so perfect. I want to figure it out so much. I want to get it so dialed in that God can look at what I'm doing right now and say, He has done that so well. I can't wait to give Him the next one. I can't wait to bless Him with another one. I can't wait to allow this to grow around Him. But the Bible has clearly proven to us that He gives according to what you can manage. And He will not give more than what we can handle. So it's our responsibility to begin to mature and grow into a place that we know we've built a foundation. That if God sees the appointed time to pour out a revival that would shake Louisiana, we can be right in the middle of it. I don't ever want to be arrogant enough to believe that it's only coming through our church. I believe it will be a multiplicity of churches who are hungry and desiring for Louisiana to change. And there are some churches that are ahead of the game for even us. They're way out in front of us because they've already been preparing and building these types of foundations. Can I tell you, I want us to be one of them. I want, a, one, I want us to be one of them where God say, I can trust Life Church of Columbia to send them people there. I trust them enough to send the broken and the hurting and the addicts and, and, and the homosexuals. I trust them enough. I trust Life Church enough to send them all there because I've seen how they steward what they got. We are being called into a new arena and it's the arena of maturity. It's the arena of handling our stuff well. We need to know every little detail. We need to be in, in, uh, paying attention to every little thing that goes on. We need to be desiring to make this thing as good and as perfect as it can be on this level. Because it's this level that becomes the foundation that holds the next level. Can I tell you what we've done won't sustain what we want to come. What we've done to this point will not sustain what we're asking for. And because of it, and because he's such a good father and he really wants to give it to us. He really wants to hand it to us. But he's such a good father, he's saying, you got to get some things right first. This thing has got to be built different than it's ever been built before.
We can't just do it the way it's always been done. We have to stop now and start asking the questions. God, how do we build a foundation that becomes so secure, that becomes so solid, that we can build, that you can build anything you want on it? And you can trust it. You can trust it. God is, even though we don't, we, we don't think this way a lot of times, God is very analytical. And He does pay attention to all the details. And He does think with some very good logic and wisdom. Now, I know in the charismatic realm, we like to throw all that out. And we don't like to think a lot. And we don't like logic. And we don't like any of those things. We just want to fly by the seat of our pants and do whatever. But God is very detail-oriented. So much so, Jesus taught a parable and said, who would start to build a tower and not stop first and say, what's it going to cost? What's it going to take? What's it going to require? God's not just out there throwing up random structures. God's stopping and planning and organizing. And he's saying, I would love to build a tower right here, but I've already done the math, and I know that this couldn't handle it. He knows. And I know a, a word like this can almost be heavy, and it can be like, oh, gosh, <laughs> like, why are you kicking me like this? But to me, on the other side of it, it's so inspiring because why would he ask me to build a foundation if he wasn't going to build something phenomenal on it? So I don't see this as hurtful or I don't see this as the, the third servant who, had, who said he's a hard man to please and he's getting results from everywhere he didn't even want. I don't want to think like that at all. But I want to be like the first two who see it as if he's entrusting me with this much, it must mean because he wants to give so much more. I am excited to co-labor with my father. I am excited about what I believe he's bringing to me personally, my family, to Life Church, to this community. There's been so many things prophesied. There's been desires and dreams birthed in people that we are so excited about. But I don't want to jump because I was, I was so close to doing this personally, I don't want to jump off into something that I haven't prepared for yet. I don't, I don't want to ruin what I got going by trying to start what I'm not ready for. So as a church, let's not mess up what we have. Let's not mess up what's going on by trying to jump ahead into what we haven't prepared for. But instead, let's start saying, God, we want to build a foundation. We want to become mature enough to handle what you're asking us to do. Whatever that may look like in me. God, if I'm still dealing with attitudes and personal vendettas and hurts and hang-ups and whatever it may be, God, I need you to start helping me. I need you to start healing me. I need you to start doing some work on the inside of me. Because I, I, I don't, I don't want to get into this position later on and then it looked so good to start with, but now I'm starting to see cracks in all the walls. I don't want to get a structure built and everybody relate that structure to God and then that structure fall down and it looks bad on God. I don't, I don't want to get down the road somewhere and start dealing with some things that I could have dealt with from the beginning. God, I want to start building a foundation. I want to start growing and becoming so mature that He can see an appointed time to say, you know what? Y'all are ready for this. Y'all are ready for what you've been asking for. Some of you are sitting right on the, right on the brink of a, a ministry impact 
in your family, in your community, in this church. You're just right there. God's giving you revelations. He's giving you insight. He's giving you words. He's giving you dreams. And in the back of your mind, you're already trying to figure out how do you leverage that into an impactful ministry. And he's saying, right now, just build a foundation. Right now, just get mature. Right now, just dig down deep. Think of those, think of those construction guys in Colorado. Can you imagine? They dig down four foot, still not enough. Six foot, still not enough. Eight foot, still haven't hit something solid. Until pretty soon you just drive up on the side and it looks like a massive hole and you don't even see anybody anymore. But they're down there preparing something that you can drive back on that site a year later and it'd be a magnificent structure. We have to be willing right now to invest in all of the things that won't be seen. We have to be willing right now to, to take the time to go down before we can come up with anything. Courtney, do you mind playing a little bit this morning? I want to take, I want to intentionally take some time this morning and, and pray some things. Uh, I, I don't believe you can just throw a word out like this and just move on from it. I, I hope and pray that you've taken notes and you've, you've understood the time and the appointed place that we're in. Uh, there's a scripture. I'm not distracted. I'm trying to pull up a scripture. There's a scripture that was in Proverbs. I'm trying to remember which chapter it was in. They're all starting to run together now. But it talks about a son who knows the season and the opportunity that he's in. That, that it takes wisdom to know the opportunity of the season you're in. And if you miss it, that season's gone. That opportunity's gone. I believe we're at a place right now where we have to use wisdom to know what season we're in. And that season looks like digging down into the things that no one else is going to see getting the foundation right, dealing with all the little details. I was listening to, to, to some very successful uh, business guys and they were talking about, he was saying, if right now you're running your, I, I, I want you to think of this spiritually. He said, but right now if you're running your company and your company's doing, you know, whatever, four or 500,000 a year, he said, and you don't know the detail of every dollar, of everything that goes on, every little scent that moves. If you don't know the details and some of it gets lost, some of it's just you're not real sure, you're unclear about it, you don't really know what happened. He said, imagine how much money that would be if you were to turn it into a $5 million company or a billion dollar company. Imagine the amount of money that you would be not stewarding on that level. And he said, a lot of the times we don't get to steward millions of dollars because we don't know how to steward hundreds of dollars. And so these are even areas in, in mine and Courtney's life that we have started to nail down to make sure that I'm stewarding every single thing right. And he's taking all this and swapping it over to the kingdom for me and starting to make me assess and look at my own life. And if there are certain areas that I'm not paying attention to every detail and I'm not stewarding on a level where it's just kind of, ah, I don't know, it's happening and life's crazy and life's fast and it just is what it is and time gets wasted, hours get wasted, minutes get wasted because we're just in the, in the thing and we're in the world of life. He said, if you can't handle it on this level, how could you steward it? Imagine how much you would be losing if you were on that level. 
So we have to become so driven by every little detail, every little move, every little thing that happens. I can only preach by the light that I have. And the most impactful sermons that we deal with are the ones that we live in. And so today, I'm just coming to you, honest before you, letting you in on the journey of where God has me. And as a pastor of this church, it's where He's taking our body. And just like in my own personal life, God has turned mine and my wife's attention to every detail, every dollar, every tool, every board, every hour, every little thing matters. And it's all important. And if I don't steward it well, why would God give me more employees and more jobs and more money if I can't steward the ones I have? And so everything has become important. Everything has to be right for the sake of His kingdom. And therefore, we've taken the same mindset and moved it into the kingdom that every hour, every minute, every investment, every conversation, every moment, every prayer, every move of faith, every seed sown, it's all so important. And it all has to be right and stewarded well. I just want to challenge you in some areas this morning. This week, I had the, me and my wife had the opportunity to sow some money into a place where we get wisdom and counsel. And it was such an honor for us. And, and we weren't prepared this month to do something. God just put in our hearts like if you believe and you believe in that wisdom on the level that you say you do, then sow into it. And so we got to write a $100 check and sow it into a place that we receive wisdom. We sowed that. And three days later, babe, was it three days later, where we sowed that investment, God gave them a prophetic word, insight and vision for our business. Three days after we sowed. We sowed that believing that God was going to start showing and directing and guiding. And he did exactly that. And we sowed the hundred dollars and said, we believe based on the wisdom and the counsel that we are going to receive from God through you, that one day we'll be sowing this into you with a lot more zeros behind it. Because I so believe in this. I so believe that if we will steward it right, he said in his word, if you'll take care of that little bit, I'll give you so much more. Take that in any area of your life. If you take that in your business, he'll give you so much more. If you take that into the kingdom, into your ministry, into prayer, into family, into impact, into whatever it is, his principles work we take this and we begin to steward it well and prove to God that He can trust us to invest in us, then He'll keep investing because we'll keep giving and we'll keep sowing and we'll keep having the impact. I want that for everyone in here. I want you to experience that. I want you to live in that. I told the boys, I, uh, with the transitions that we've made here at the church with some leaving, and I've stepped back into, I don't mean back, I don't want that to sound negative, but I've went back into student ministry, which is something I haven't done in years. And I was super nervous. I was like, I don't even know if I can connect to kids anymore. I feel like an old man now. <laughs> but I stood in that room full of young men from 7th grade to 12th grade. And I told them this. I said, my heart and my desire for you is not that you just be successful as a Christian, but that you also be successful as a human being. 
that I'm not just going to teach you how to live and love Jesus and live for Jesus. I'm going to do that and I'm going to show you the example of what it means to live a life surrendered to Jesus. But I also want to show you how to succeed in life and use that success to build the kingdom. I want you guys to believe for that. I don't want you to believe for just settling, just holding on to what you got. Don't be the third servant, guys. I'm just going to hold on to it and make sure I don't lose it and make sure it doesn't end up gone one day. No, you take it and you work it. You toil with it. You grow it into whatever it's designed to be. I have so much burning in my heart today and I don't want to just prolong it and say a whole bunch of stuff over and over. But can I tell you, I'm so passionate about this. And I'm passionate about it because I'm so convinced that when we start living by these principles, He's going to do more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Because He's going to trust you to use it to leverage the kingdom into whatever arena you found yourself in. Whether that's the marketplace, the workforce, the church, your ministry, your family, the Bible says we're ambassadors of God. You know what that means, our, our design is, what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to, whatever nation, which just means a group of collected mindsets, so that could be your job, that could be your hobby, that could be whatever you find yourself in, the school, the church, all of that. We're ambassadors, so it's our job to leverage His kingdom into whatever nation we find ourselves in. Branson, you're called to leverage the kingdom into energy. Brandon, you're called to leverage the kingdom into the workforce and the, the, the working class of LaSalle Parish. We're called to leverage the kingdom into our local banks and grocery stores. It's our responsibility to take what He has entrusted us with, go into our marketplace, our arena, our field of favor, and when we get there, begin to barter and trade and work until his kingdom is leveraged into it. And he says, man, if they're going to do it with that much, I'm going to trust them with way more. I'm going to trust them with so much more because of the integrity and the foundation that they have built to prove themselves to me. Last statement, I promise I'm closing. I'm going to pray. The Bible says that when Abraham took his son up on the mountain and raised the knife to sacrifice them to God, the Bible actually says... Then God knew. <laughs> Wait, what? God knows everything. The Bible teaches us God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. But it says when He did this, then God knew. Was God withholding information from Himself? I, I don't know. It's such an incredible mystery. And if you do think you know, please don't tell me because I love the mystery of it. But it says, then he knew. And then we go to the New Testament and the scripture says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who gave this out, dished this out. And then it says, they proved to him that they were faithful and trustworthy. So does that mean the master didn't already know? Because we started out saying he gave 5,000 because of what he knew. You see the connection to the two now? God is giving you the opportunity. He's giving me the opportunity. He's giving us the opportunity to prove that we are faithful and trustworthy. And I want God to look down on my sacrifice and say, now I know. I had a pretty good idea, but now I know I can trust Josh. I can trust Kenny. 
I've seen what you went through and you've gone through and you stayed in. You were faithful. You kept working. You kept serving. And he's looking down saying, now I know. Now I know I can trust you, Kenny. Now I know I can give you more. If this has resonated with your spirit this morning and you're sitting there saying, I want God to look at me and say, now I know. I want to invest on such a level. I want him to be able to invest. I want to be so faithful. I want to steward every detail. If that's you, I want you to just stand up where you are. You don't have to come to the front. Just stand where you are. If you're ready to say, I'm going to look at every detail. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to every single thing. I'm going to steward it so well that God's going to say, you know what? 2,000 is not enough for you. I'm going to give you five now. I want him to look at you and say, you know what? That little business, that's not quite enough for you. I'm going to give you even more now. I want him to look at you and say, you know what? Just cleaning at the junior high right now, you've been so faithful and you've stewarded it so well, I'm about to increase your impact. I'm about to increase your footprint. This is what God's wanting to do. This is what I want to pray over you. This is such an incredible statement. The Bible says that when Peter passed, Peter, right? Yeah, when Peter passed by, his shadow healed them. We know that was the kingdom of God. It wasn't literally his shadow. But he was so leveraging the kingdom of God that his shadow healed him. So let me ask you this. How big is the shadow of the kingdom in your life? How far does the shadow of the kingdom stretch out when you walk somewhere? That's what we want. We want to leverage the kingdom. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you are so wanting to build something so incredible here in this place that you've challenged us. You've challenged us to build a foundation that could stand it. You've challenged us to build something so great, so solid, so mature that you could put your revival on top of it. So we desire now that the shadow of your kingdom would stretch out around us and we would leverage that into every area that we are. We would leverage your kingdom into our families, into our businesses, into our churches, into the supermarket, into wherever we find ourselves that we begin to build something so so legit, so solid, so firm, so right, that we begin to steward what you have given us so well that you would look down and say, now I know, and I'm ready to unleash, to release something even greater. That then and only then are we really ready for the inflection point that you bring into our lives. Father, we thank you for it this morning. And I just declare a... a, a a spirit of, of, of excellence and stewardship to so drive us and motivate us that laziness would be canceled, canceled out of us in every area, and every, that we would be paying attention to the detail of every minute, every day, every opportunity, every dollar, every dime will become so important because we want to steward it according to your goodness. We thank you that you are so good to entrust this to us that we want to steward it at the greatest level possible. I thank you for it this morning. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Life Church podcast.